This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Sam and I are delighted to be joined by a man who has made over 450 Football League appearances for the likes of Bolton, Portsmouth, Leeds United, Ipswich Town and of course, Plymouth Argyle. 2003-2004 title winning, David Norris. And my dad went in to see him. I think they had a little bit of a set to and then come back out, everything was good. My money was fine from then on and we got on great. Yeah, well, we had Joe KF, JJ Kocha, Campo. Paul Warhurst was a good player. Obviously, Kevin Nolan was breaking through at that time. Six, seven hours driving, which I, that, I didn't realise just how far that was either. Um, and then it was in a B&B and it was a little bit of an eye-opener. You know, probably I probably got a bit too big for my boots, but... It was very good, wasn't it? You scored on your debut. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it can't get better. It doesn't get better than that. You got your Paul Watt and your Mickey Evans, who, you know, Mr. Plymouth Fargals himself, making sure that no one comes in and starts taking the mick. Even when I look back at it now, it's it's the strangest goal. Just for the sheer fact of how long it's in the air. It goes up, it disappears at a camera shot, I think. And you think, what's happened? It's spinning and spinning, it comes down, but... That must have just been one incredible celebration after that QPR game. There must have been um, a few days to remember. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and funny enough, did you feel you were at all hard done by during that season? Uh, yeah, to be honest, yeah. That just made me feel 10 feet tall. You know, just give me a huge lift of, wow, this manager really believes in me. Your manager comes in and pretty much does his 14 talking sign language and then just walks out. Tell my kids about it now and they're like, yeah, but what? Not, not the Real Madrid. Like, what is it? And I'm like, no, it was the actual team. And they're like, why would they play you? Because normally I just play and just do my job and get on with it. But I thought maybe this club's just hit a ceiling of where we can go with it because of what he could do with the ball. Like I used to spend most of training just trying to kick him because he just, it was unbelievable. Like The controversy with the celebration, do, do you want to give you, us your side of that story? I assume you regret that. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, and then within a couple of months, the owner gets investigated, accounts frozen, club goes into administration and it's like, wow. There's, there's only one thing that comes up. The 7th of April, David Norris Day. <laughs> your famous moment in blue, which cemented your legacy at Portsmouth. Just talk us through that volley. And then when they kill the music and the fans sing it, and I just remember looking around thinking, wow, like I had goosebumps and my hairs were standing up on the back of my neck and thinking, wow, this is some atmosphere, some place to be. You're now starting to 
shift some of those memories on, you know, your match-worn shirts online and on social. Is there a reason behind that or are they just taking up too much space? Or? This is the story. This is how I remembered it. Barry Hill's challenging Gooty just doesn't even sound right, but what a madness. And welcome back to another episode of My Argo Life, the series in which we delve into the stories of those on the terraces, and in this case, in, of today's episode, those on the pitch. Sam and I are delighted to be joined by a man who has made over 450 Football League appearances for the likes of Bolton, Portsmouth, Leeds United, Ipswich Town, and of course, Plymouth Argyle, while playing under the likes of Steve Evans, Roy Keane, Sam Allardyce, Ian Holloway, Neil Warnock, Tony Pulis, and Paul Sturrock. It is, of course, the 2003-2004 title-winning David Norris. How are you, David? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, I'm pleased to be on here. Uh, it's been a—I haven't had too many opportunities to uh, go over go over past times. So, um, you know, when I have, I've enjoyed it. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, good. Obviously, we were talking just then off record. You're still busy, still playing for Lancaster City. How's the season gone so far? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm still going, uh, despite saying it was my last year for the last four or five. I think now everyone reminds me um, it's been a bit up and down. We, we, we've we've had some good patches. We won, I think, it was unbeaten for eight, and then we lost three in a week, and then we've hit, been hit and miss the last few weeks. So we're 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 a little bit up and down at the minute, but um, the aim is to to obviously be in around them playoffs come come the end of the season. Hopefully, have a chance of getting promoted. One, one last promotion on your, on your CV before you do another year again, I'm sure. <laughs> but obviously we're here to talk mainly about Argyle, but let's start from the beginning, obviously. What are your earliest memories growing up? Were you always destined to be a footballer? I don't know. I mean, destined, obviously, when you, you get a bit older, you realise there's a lot more to it. Um, but when I was younger and in my own head, that was it was everything. Um, I mean, like my kids are into football now, but... When I can see the levels compared to what I was when I was their age, out every day out kicking the ball against the ball, playing with my mates, playing for as many teams as I, as I, as I could, uh, I just loved it. Learning about it, I had posters on my wall, watching games. I was just so so into it. It was all I ever wanted to do. Um, yeah, and so I didn't really really think about anything else, especially when I was younger. J- jumping ahead a bit, obviously, eight goals in. 17 games or at least if uh, transfer marked is to be believed <laughs> uh, it sounds like a lovely way to kickstart your career under Steve Evans at Boston United I suppose it's a two-part question but you appear to take to men's football like a duck to water and the second part is what's it like to play under Steve Evans yeah the, the all-important question yeah I uh with the men's football I was playing um men's football from 15 16 uh even when my when I was younger than that, I used to go. My dad used to play in an eleven side just with mates, but all adults. And I'd I'd be invited into that when I was 13, 14, 15. Then at sixteen, I was playing for um, a Sunday league pub side. So my weekend would be Saturday afternoon uh, a men's football game, Sunday morning uh, pub football team, and then an under 18s or under seventeens in the afternoon uh, at my at my own level. So I, I was quite used to playing with men's uh, football, getting kicked about, getting used to it. Um, so I think that actually did stand me in good stead for, for for going into it. And then I was actually at Stanford before Boston, which was just one league below. And Steve Evans was the manager there. He moved to Boston, and then he oh, wow. took me and he took me with him then um, after I'd had a season or so at Stanford. But I was playing for Stanford reserves, and my Sunday pub league manager was the manager. 
And he persuaded Steve Evans just to give me a chance, throw him in. He's 16, just give him a try. And I went in my first game, had a really good game and, and, and never looked back from there. And then, like I say, at the end of that season, Steve took me to, to Boston, which was which was another level up. But as for Steve Evans himself, he's, he's exactly what you guys have seen. There's no, that is, that is him. He is hot-headed, enthusiastic, like loud, you know, ruthless, you know. So, I mean, at that level, looking back now, I'm surprised because it was only part-time, not great money for some of them. Some of them players took the stick they did off him and someone didn't end up giving him a, a jab or two with the way he spoke to him and the way he could be. But he's, he's a good manager. He gets the job done. You know, if he's got a little bit of finances as well, he knows how to bring the right players in. And overall, I think you can see throughout his career, he's, he's done pretty well, um, you know, wherever he, where, pretty much wherever he's been. So I don't think you can fault fault his management. Obviously, uh, he's got some other um, personality qualities that, that stand out as well. But, but I actually got an okay with him. He was good to me. He helped me with my move to Bolton. Uh, he come down with one of the other players who was a, an agent at the time and helped smooth that over and sort that out for me. Nice. And yeah, and I was in touch with him throughout throughout my career. He'd still ask me about players and, and still in touch with him regularly. So um, yeah, I got I got on well with him. I mean, we had a, we had a little bit of a bust up when we was at Stamford because I was sixteen. I couldn't drive. My dad was that guy who was how far is it? Fifteen miles away. Yeah, that's fifteen minutes. Yeah, we've got to be there at quarter two. We'll leave at half past. No, dad. It's not going to, it doesn't work like that. One bit of traffic. Any, all right. So I was late. I was late. I was late. I was late. But he was fining me for being late. And I'm like, I can't do anything like it. What do you want me to do? So I was short on my money one time. And my dad went in to see him. I think they had a little bit of a set too. And then come back out. Everything was good. My money was fine from then on. And we got on great. Yeah. That's what you need. You just need yeah. to absolutely fine. <laughs> from, from obviously from one one bloke that looks great in a sombrero to another. Obviously, you went from <laughs> you went from Bolton. No, you went from uh, sorry Boston to Bolton. Um, yeah. First Division and Premier League bound Bolton. God, yeah, very similar <laughs> names here. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did that move come about? Obviously, you said Steve Evans helped smooth that over, but that's that's quite a jump from what was then the Southern League Prem up to the second tier, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, although I will say. We used to go through the there's a small entrance at Boston. You go through and on the side was all the tickets that were being left. And every game there must have been at least 10, 15 teams there. Right. Watching, watching. So I always used to go in, look at the teams and think, surely if I keep doing well, someone will take a chance on me, whatever level it is, just with the amount of scouts that were coming. Were they there to look at you, or was that was that where they are situated in the country around bigger teams? Yeah, I think just in general, just looking for players from non-league to take into the league, they get on the cheap um, because of, I think that was almost from the start before I started to do well, uh, there was always teams coming. So, so yeah, that was, that was, I come about with Bolton were interested. They asked me to go down. It was actually the pre-season before and train with a youth, youth team, under 18s it might have been. But I was at an age where I wasn't going to be able to sign for them. It was just to have a little look at me. Uh, so then they said, happy with him, like did well, we'll keep an eye on him. And then I think it was that following January, they invited me back down to do a week's trial. They'd kept an army. I'd done well. I'd been doing well at Boston, scoring goals. Uh, and then I went for a week's trial. Did okay in training. Did like, I was raw, a bit non-league. Um, but we had a friendly against Leeds United, a reserve game, sorry. And I just had one of them games where everything, everything was really good for me. Up until about an hour when I started cramping, just not used to it. But everything come off for me. And at half time. Hibs manager Alex McLeish come in and to Bolton Sam and just said we'll take him 
And I mean, sorry to Steve Evans and Boston said we'd take him and that forced Sam to make a decision. I think they wanted to look at me again, Bolton, and I probably would not have done as well as I had that game, but he got his hand forced and, you know, look, that little bit of luck you sometimes need. And he said, we'll take him, yeah. Obviously, whilst you're at Bolton, you find you, you struggle to get as many minutes as, as you'd hope, I imagine. You know, limited to a few cup games and stuff and obviously had to take your opportunities elsewhere. You, you spend a bit of time uh, at Hull as well. But obviously the 2002-2003 the season rolls around and Argyle come knocking. How did the move to Plymouth come about? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, on paper, it looks like I, uh, I struggled to, to get in at Bolton and to get some games, but it never really felt like that to me up until the end. I was just learning all the time. I'd come from non-league. I was raw. I was learning how to be a professional. So I first started that, then training with better players, trying to be a better player. Who were on the books at Bolton at that time? Like, who were you learning from? <laughs> trying to learn from. Like, well, we had Jorkayev, JJ Kocha, Campo, Paul Warhurst, who was a good player. Obviously, Kevin Nolan was breaking through at that time. It was a it was a team full of big players and you so I actually enjoyed it. It was only coming towards the end. I went to the end of that season previous, I went on loan to Hull. And that was where I just started to think maybe I've, I've done enough of, you know, I was never going to play in the first team. They're in the Premier League, bringing in all these big hitters. I understood. Um, maybe that gave me a little taste to go, you know what, maybe this time's right to start to start getting out there. So I had an end of season little stint with Hull. Enjoyed that. Scored my first Football League goal. And then just thought when we went into the start of the next season, I was doing well pre-season and I got involved in the first team squads, but not enough to, to get involved. And after a couple of months, it was that maybe it's time to get out on loan again. And that was when Plymouth. Yeah, obviously you came down to Plymouth. I think I read somewhere that you you were expecting a, a decent hotel and you, you end up in a and b what, what were your first impressions of the city? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like I adjusted very quickly to to being a professional footballer, uh, coming from non-league and then expecting that. But I kind of did, you know, because of I'd been to Hull and it was a little bit different. And some of the other players had been out on loan, maybe at teams, a little bit bigger teams or higher up teams with, with the facilities. I thought I'd be there going into a hotel, I could be chain hotel, swim pool, gym, all of that. I'd go in there get ready for the game the next day. I was going to play in a reserve game, a jacuzzi and everything and what have you. But I got there, obviously, six, seven hours driving, which I, that, I didn't realise just how far that was either. Um, and then it was in a B&B and it was a little bit of an eye-opener. You know, probably I probably got a bit too big for my boots, but it was a great grounding. And the people in the the, the house that I stayed in were, were lovely, really looked after me. So I can't fault that at all. And like I said, it's probably just what I needed, a little bit of a, OK, you've been at Bolton. You know, you've stepped up, but you haven't done anything yet. And so, you know, that you've got to come back. You're going to drop down two steps back to hopefully go forward and, and, and just quickly. And, you know, and, and I did. They were lovely people. And really deep down, that is the person I was. So I just did quickly back. Yeah, I think this is where I hand over to Sam to do all the, um, all the Argo <laughs> remembering. You have to unmute yourself. Yes, that would help, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> hi, Sam. David. Thank you, thank you so much for coming on. Absolute pleasure. You were an absolute hero of mine going to Argyle as a, a young fan. Um, I started supporting in the season just before you arrived when we won oh, the league right. under Spirit League blows. So you were one of my first kind of um, oh, right. signings, if you like. Um, what age would you have been then? 
Uh, so I'm 30 now, so I would have been eight at the time, coming wow. on to nine when you when wow. you signed on a permanent. Yeah, so it was um, good times. They were they were great times to just be coming into supporting the club, yeah. weren't they? Because you, yeah, you couldn't really ask for for much better. And then obviously, I uh, I think I'd I'd been so spoiled than all the years that came after <laughs> followed. <laughs> but the, yeah. the years where you were here were were pretty much entirely fantastic. So you you came down to Argyle then, obviously, like you say, you 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 got settled into your B and B. You go and meet the squad, meet Paul Sturrock. Um, if I remember rightly, your your first game was was the way at Crew, wasn't it? Who were doing very well in the league at that time. What was your? You, you've talked us through your first impression of Plymouth. What was your first impression of the squad, Paul Sturrock, and 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 the, and the club in general? Yeah, so I mean, I, like I say, I, I enjoyed it. I come down, uh, met the met the staff, showed around the ground. Obviously, at that time, there was talk of a new stadium, which probably took a little bit longer than yeah. you know, when I was first told it was going to be done, but. For me, I was just, I was excited to start playing first team football. I was impressed with the manager, his, his coaches, what they said to me. Uh, I was obviously a bit nervous. It was, I didn't know, you know, many, I didn't know. I think I knew Hasnial Joffrey because he'd been at Bolton previously. That helped, uh, helped me settle. And I think I was just wanting, looking forward to it and just look, looking to, you know, get get, get going and, and and settle them nerves and, and, and get this underway and, and hopefully it goes well. Super. So then you go, um, you get uh, straight into the starting eleven for your first game at Crew, and um, it was a very good one, wasn't it? You scored on your debut. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it can't get better. It doesn't get better than that. Um, I, I've said that ever since. I think you know, you, with the way my career has gone and being a professional footballer, you need certain things to happen at certain times. You know, as much as you, you, you dedicate yourself or you or you you know you try, you have the right attitude. Sometimes you do need that bit of luck, and I think this was one of the moments where I've said before that. You know, we could have got beat three or four that day. I could have been taken off at half time or after an hour, seen my month out, gone back to Bolton, had to go somewhere else. Who knows? But that game just changed everything because I went from being a little bit nervous and wanting to do okay to my confidence shot up. Uh, I felt like I'd settled myself in with the rest of the playing squad, which was which was tough, you know, nervy because it was a, a tough changing room to come into. And also then with the fans, you know, once you get the fans and they that you score a winning goal, you know, they start to know who you are, they, they, they support you. And it, it settled me so much and gave me so much confidence that it allowed me then to kick on. Yeah, it must have been, um, it must have been, must have been quite a moment, uh, especially given that crew were right at the top and Argyle, I think we're going into that game on a, a pretty long winless run as well. So it was, uh, I remember everyone was delighted with the win at the time. So then you eventually, like as, as you kind of allude today, you, you became a regular fixture in the team. You were playing very well. Fans were loving you. At what point did it become clear that this was then going to be a, a permanent move to Argyle? Uh, I think uh, probably within that first month. After that first month, we extended it for another month. I think we ended up extending it for a third month and then you have to buy your cut. I don't think you can extend it past three months. But um I think it was just then going to be trying to sort out the finer details of of the fees, sell-on fees. Uh, I, it was never going to be an issue with with my with my wages because I I was earning okay money, but similar levels to where I was at, um, at, at Plymouth anyway. So that was always going to be an easy one to sort out. So yeah, I think within within the first month after playing regularly and, and enjoying it and thinking, yeah, this is what it's all about. Training all week to play the Saturday. I'm settling in at the club well. You know, the fans have seem to be taking to me. You know, they, I'm thinking this is this is what it's all about. This is what I've been wanting. Absolutely. And it was a pretty, pretty successful year that year, Argyle's first year up in the um in the championship. And and then of course the the incredible 
um, 2003-2004 season. So coming, we'll, we'll look at the season in a bit more depth at the moment, but obviously you played under a whole host of managers in your time at Argyle, you know, Williamson, Pulis, Holloway, but both of those were bookended by, of course, the Argyle legend that is Paul Sturrock. What was it like to... To, to work under him, what, what were your what were your impressions of uh, of him as a man, and what do you think were the main reasons behind his great success at Argyle? Uh, to, I mean, I loved working for him. You know, he gave, he gave me my chance for one, so I always had that that you know respect and you know gratefulness, gratitude uh, for him taking a chance on me. But he was just one. He just got the players wanted to play for him. They wanted to run through brick walls for him. I mean, uh, even during the season we won the league, we definitely we didn't have the best players, but we had the best team. And we had some very, very good players, but um, we would work so hard for each other. Training was hard. The changing room was hard. You know, if you, you come in and you bought into the team ethic and who we were, or you didn't, you didn't last long. And uh, I had to deal with that when I first came in. I found that like, wow, this is this is tough. It's ruthless. You got your Paul Watt and your Mickey Evans, who you know, Mr. Plymouth Argyles himself, making sure that no one comes in and starts taking the mick. Um, so at first you hate, you hated it, but then you're like, this is how you get a team spirit and a team ethic and you get everyone on the same page. And that was what it was like. And, and that's what we contributed our success to. And that's what Paul Sturrock brought to us. You know, he made us want to play for him, want to play for each other, want to play for the fans. And, and, and that was what we did. Yeah, absolutely. That, that chimes so much with, with, with what he, he said in his interviews. He's always, he's always famous. He said he's never been one to, try and change a player's attitude. You either buy in, you know, if you buy in, you play. If you don't, you're out the door. It's pretty much the attitude he's, he's always taken. Well, and I guess what you've said, that really did contribute. So going on to the 2003-04 season, we've, we asked a few um, friends of ours, listeners to the pod and contributors to the pod about memorable moments involving yourself. And the one that seemed to come up with a lot of people was the Boxing Day goal at, at Bournemouth, which is one of the most crazy goals I think anybody's ever, anybody's ever seen. Talk me through it in, in your... In your mind, what happened when the ball left your foot to to that goal going in? Because I can't imagine you've ever scored a goal weirder than that in your life. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, I mean, even when I look back at it now, it's it's the strangest goal, just for the sheer fact of how long it's in the air. It goes up, it disappears at a camera shot, I think, and you think, what's happened? It's spinning and spinning and comes down. But I mean, I used to get a little bit stick from some of the players because I'd shoot from anywhere, even on my left foot. So I, if I got half a yard, I'd be shooting. Um, and on that occasion, I touched it on my feet and I, and I shot and I knew it, I'd caught it pretty well. Um, I didn't know if he was going to save it, go over. But when it's hit the bar and it's gone that high, I think it's just going to drop behind the goal. So I'm watching it, but not expecting too much of it. And then to see it spin, bounce, I assumed, I don't know if it might have been Frio chasing it in. Someone must have touched it or tapped it in. But when I could see the reaction from everyone, I realised it's just spun right back in and a mad goal mad goal but even like makes me laugh now watching it back just like I say how long it's in the air and then for the, the amount of spin for it to turn in and go in was mad yeah um, perhaps a good job there's no VAR goal on technology back in those days <laughs> yeah. might, might have put paint it might have it was really it was really incredible and, and obviously going going into that season and we're we're running away at the top of the league we, we have we have um, we have a little wobble and then we're back to to full form and, and obviously then the news comes in that Paul Sturrock has been has been poached by, by Southampton. How big a, a blow was that to, to get that news with just a couple of months before the end of the season? Yeah, it, it, it was a huge blow. I mean, I, I don't think we could we could complain too much as in he was going on to, to, to manage Southampton, you know, in the Premier League. We couldn't really complain about it for, for where he was going and, and what it was going to give to him. But yeah, for us, it was, everything was going well. We had a chance. 
and you're always worried then with such a drastic change, you know, it's not like just one of the players and you can replace him, it's the manager uh, who's took you that far and you, you, there was a bit of worry and, and doubt and not sure what was going to happen next. But like I say, I think because of the change room we did have, I think that helped, you know, we could almost police ourselves at times, um, you know, with some of the senior players we had. And so uh, I think that definitely helped get us through, um, you know, Paul Watton, um, Coughlin, Hodges, Mickey Evans, all good experienced pros who help us get through that time. But at first, yeah, it was a worry. Yeah, I remember being there at Knox County that that, that Saturday game after he left. And I remember the, the, the I think oh, God, I only sold about a thousand on the day he left. And I think in the week leading up to it, it sold about another another thousand more. And I remember the the kind of rallying effect that had on the fans, all, all the almost all the more determined to to get over the line. And I think um Blair Sturrock scored a goal that was ruled out for offside, didn't he? And that would have been the ultimate um yeah. the kind of written in the stars ending for that game, but but sadly not to be. And um of course, then eventually, after a, after a little bit of a downturn in form, Bobby Williamson comes in, and we have the the incredible promotion game against QPR, and obviously that that Mickey Evans header um, to make it one 0 is um, probably one of the one of people's most um, favoured goals in our goal history. And of course, you were the you were the sister of that goal. How did that feel to have such a, a major play? It was an incredible cross. Every time I've watched it back, I've always um, thought, what a brilliant cross it was. How does that feel to have your have your name imprinted in one of our best ever games like that? Yeah, no, of course it's it's special. It's brilliant. It's nice for me to watch it back. Obviously, it's it's going to get played a lot because of the importance of the goal. Um, I might have liked to have probably scored, but as as it as it goes, being setting it up in that way as well. I mean, like I said, I hit that half volley on my left foot twenty more times. It could go anywhere, um, but that on that one, as I checked back, and it's just set up nice, and I've actually caught it perfectly. And uh, to be fair, it's a great header from Mickey anyway. But but yeah, it's, it's brilliant to be you know part of something like that that's going to be shown again and again and you know and, and a special time at that time like you say we, we, we'd we had a little wobble I think we'd had a wobble just before it as well and we were a little bit of crisis point until we realised how close we were and it was like this is this is it we, you know as bad as it was the week before we, we, we're, we're close we win this game it's, it's done and then it was just focus and let's get this job done and even when we did to be honest it was it was relief at first because of We'd been there all season because we'd put so much into it. It would have felt like we'd blown it if had should we not have gone up. Um, and so that pressure was that pressure was getting to us to just slightly towards the end. And so to get it done and over the line, it was a huge relief. It would have been very tough to have to pick yourself back up for the playoffs, wouldn't it? If if you'd have dropped into them after being top two pretty much all season, so it's obviously such a good job that we didn't have to. And that must have just been one incredible celebration after that QPR game. That must have been um, a few days to remember. Yeah, yeah. And, and funny enough, after the, pretty much that night, because of I think we we tried to we enjoyed it on the pitch and in the bar afterwards, and then we were all due to go out that night. And I just remember when we all first turned up that night, everyone was just washed out. It was like you know, it was, it was like it's, we've done it, relief, but like it just drained everybody. The whole season, the manager going, everything had just come and just drained everyone was a bit low it looked, it looked low but I think we were just relief and, and wiped out and then and then we had a very good few days yeah the Sunday we were, we, we had a good, good time all day out and to be honest that week was a little bit of a see we'd won the league there was probably just the end of us drinking culture in football at that time so I'm sure there would have been lads we would have had the drink pretty much every day up until the next game and we had another couple of nights out on the Tuesday the Wednesday 
I remember one Thursday, it might have been the training, was a little bit of a shambles with lads still a bit worse for wear. Um, but you know what? They, it, it went into the last game. We got the job done and the pressure was off and we ended up winning the last game. And, and you know, it was crazy. Yeah, well, that, that kind of makes it all the more remarkable that we then went up to Hartlepool for the, for the away game in between a 1-3-1 after, after the week you just described. I guess yeah. that shows the, the will to win within the squad, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. But sometimes when that pressure's off and with the pressure we felt at that time, we could just play then. It felt like, okay, the, the, the job's done, all that anxiety we had and now we can just go, let's just play now and, and enjoy it. And and we did the, the, the atmosphere at... Hartlepool with the the fans all dressed up and what have you, and and then yeah. coming back home after that for the for the final game, it was it was it was great times. I could say that pressure felt off. I'm sure it was. Now going on to the next season, I don't want to spend too much on this one. I'm sure we've got lots of interesting stuff to come with with Ian Holloway. But the next season, I think, is relevant to mention a little bit because because quite naturally there are a lot of parallels with that season, the season Argyle are having now. So I think a lot of Argyle fans found it tough at the time and started to get on get on Bobby Williamson's back a little bit about you know maybe struggling to adapt as well as we'd like to the to the step up and I think to an extent we're sort of seeing similar things happening this season with again just just Argyle now we're back in the championship again just yeah. sort of struggling at times to deal with the sheer step up in class how big a culture shock step up in class was that for you going from league one to the championship uh yeah I think the 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 jump up in is, is big, I think. At that time, that League One to Championship was, was was huge just because the sheer the teams that were in the Championship, the size of the teams. And from Plymouth, really only coming from, you know, two leagues below, only three, two, three years before to then be back up there so quick without really changing too much. It, it, that success come very quickly to then go into a league where the, where the teams were, were, were so big. And I think we, you know, we tried to ride a bit of a crest of a wave initially, you know, and hope that that, success um, from the previous season would, would carry us on. But it, it's a, it was a tough league and, and we had to adjust quickly. Obviously, I remember there was a little bit of, um, again, sometimes where it got a little bit sour with Argyle fans kind of wanting you played maybe more than you were at, at, at times. Because I remember when Bobby Williams left you out for a few games, there was a bit of um, Argyle fans getting on his back. Did you feel you were at all hard done by during that season? Uh, yeah, to be honest, yeah. I mean, I've been very lucky with, with my managers. You know, a lot of them have... Have took to me. Uh, I've been for them, and and I've played games. And there's probably been only maybe one or two, three tops over the my whole career. That you know, sometimes you feel like you don't quite fit, or that your face doesn't quite fit, or you're gonna have to be a little bit, do a little bit more to 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 stay in the team. And 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 to be honest, it did feel a bit like that with with Bobby and myself uh, for a period of time. I you know I was a bit frustrated. I I wanted to play. Um, I felt at times I deserved to play, and. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a time where, you know, I had to get used to maybe, you know, not, not you know, adjusting to that side of a game of, you know, just having to get your head down, keep working hard and and and, and hope that it comes back, back good for you. But yeah, it was a little bit frustrating and difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it, it's a testament to yourself that it certainly did come back because our, our pick-up in the form towards the end of that season, I, as I remember, and as Aaron tells you, my memory is very good. I remember you played pretty much every game in that, um, in that kind of positive run towards the end of that season. In the end, we stayed up for about two or three games to spare, didn't we? It was quite comfortable in the end. So yeah. then we're going on to a season that was a, a real high for you personally the year after. Obviously, Bobby Williamson was um, replaced fairly early in the season. Tony Pulis came in and you went on to get player of the season that year in a, in a year that was a bit of a bit of a recovery mission for Argyle, wasn't it? Obviously, Bobby was sacked fairly early. Jockey Scott was caretaker for a few games and then Tony Pulis comes in to sort of drag us away from trouble. What do you think it was about Tony Pulis that really got 
so much out of you that you eventually won your your first ever player of the season with Argyle? Uh, belief probably uh, was one of the big things. Um, obviously, Tony Pulis's teams don't have or didn't have many players under six foot. You know, that was a, a trait that he had had. Uh, he liked his players big, strong. Um, and so at first I wasn't sure where I would fit in. But I was one of the only ones that, you know, on the, you know, like I say, on, on the shorter side, shall we say, and that stayed in the team. But I remember I um, I scored a goal at Coventry. I think it was away. We lost and I scored a goal and he came up to me. And for the first time in well, my career, especially at Plymouth, he said, listen, you, you've done ever so well. You've been doing well. He said, I'm going to get you a new contract. And all the time previously, my contracts had run out and then got renewed. So for him to come to me before that to say, you're going to reward you for what you've done so far and how you're doing because you deserve it. That just made me feel 10 feet tall. You know, it just give me a huge lift of, wow, this manager really believes in me. You know, not only am I playing under him when I know he doesn't always favour that type of player, he's now offering me a contract, you know, before it's even run out, which has never happened to me before. So he gave me a massive, massive lifting confidence. Um, uh, and, and maybe that's where that, that you know, that spurned from. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously he left at the end of that season to go to Stoke. Was, was there any truth in the rumours that he wanted to take you down with him? Obviously you've stayed at Argyle in the end, didn't you? Was he, uh, was he in your ear trying to get you to go with him to Stoke at that time? Yeah, if I'm honest, yeah. Yeah, there was them, them conversations um, about taking me there. Uh, I think it was going to be a, more about the fee and the finances that, I mean, I think he had a fee in his head that he thought was fair and, you know, he didn't think it was it was going to happen, but I mean, he didn't get too far down the line. But yeah, there was inquiries. You know, it, it, you know, would it would I want to go to there, and you know, would I be interested? And uh, you know, but it, it never got too far. I mean, even I had quite a lot of speculation almost from the first season, especially coming towards the end of the season, and I never really took too many honours in. I want to leave. That's where I want to go. I was always very happy, and you know, sometimes you get a little bit. You know, it's nice being sometimes a bit of a bigger fish. You know, in that in that pond of you know where, where I I was now settled, established. The fans loved me. You know, I felt very comfortable. Um, and so you know, I, it was always going to be difficult for me to leave. Absolutely, and but I, I don't think anybody would have blamed you at that time because our goal were, were kind of a little bit um, you know rootless at that time, weren't they? Tony Pulis had gone. We were getting towards the end of June. We we had quite a skeleton squad and we didn't have a manager and, it, and I think that a lot of people in all truth at that point wouldn't would kind of have probably taken staying up that following season right away as, 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 as you know and the season turned out to be far better than that so obviously Ian Holloway is a man that, that obviously many all football fans have a story about and all football fans have a have an opinion of so what was that like going into the first day of pre-season and um, finding Ian Holloway as your, man, your new manager I'm sure he was quite a character Oh, yeah. Yeah. Again, another one that I, I said about Steve Evans being in Holloway, exactly the same, exactly what you see, you know, what, how he is, how passionate he is, how funny he can be, how, you know, out there he can be at times. Uh, it was exactly the same. But at that time, it, it felt that's what we needed. Um, you know, we'd, we'd obviously lost, we'd lost Pulis, but the way we had to play under him was, was like to maintain our status. Um, we were, I'm, I'm sure at times, I mean, there was a lot of 1-0 games. I'm sure the fans didn't always enjoy it because we were very organised um, rather than, you know, pleasing on the eye. Um, and so Pulis comes in, lifts everything, you know, uh, it gives the whole place a big boost for one for coming in and then starts bringing in players and trying to play a bit of a brand of football that was probably a little bit different to what we'd done the previous season. And I think it just gave everyone a bit of a lift. But yeah, he was, he was some guy, some character. Yeah, he. Uh, I think based on a lot of what he said publicly and what other people have said about him, it kind of sounds like he... 
sort of secret to his success was very similar to what, what Paul Sturrock had in the sense of getting everyone to buy into a culture. I think he's always said that, you know, if you if you don't buy into the way he wants to do things, there's not going to be much of a future. And one of the ways that me and Aaron uh, spoke about that we found really interesting before talking to you was he, he would often do team talks in sign language, um, I believe. But I believe, obviously, he had... Um, Three, three daughters, I believe, I believe That's who were right, deaf yeah. or, or yeah. possibly a son. But that must have been a, a unique experience. I can't imagine that was something you'd had before or since. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, I think, you know, his, his point was about, you know, we're too quiet on the pitch and our lack of communication and how hard it is to, to be successful if you, if you don't communicate and help each other out and talk more and, and, and help each other. And I think that was the point of that. But I mean, your manager comes in and, pretty much does his 14 talking sign language and then just walks out and you're all just, what's just happened? <laughs> what's just happened here? It's definitely something a bit different. Um, but he did a few things. I mean, we used to do the team, the other the opposition team in our meetings and sometimes they would come in and all of their players would be drawn as caricatures, you know, picking on certain features of them. But, you know, and that would be our team talking and he'd go through them all and we'd all be in hysterics. Um, but he liked that buy-in. He liked us to be emotionally involved. You know, we watched, it's one time he sat us down and watched, you know, Coach Carter. Uh, he wanted us to be like that type of American, buy into the to, to everything, the team, the management, the fans, the the, the place. Um, and it worked. It worked. You know, we, everyone bought into him. We bought into what he was trying to do and, and everyone loved playing for him and, and, and would run through a brick wall for him. Yeah, it, it certainly sounds that way. And obviously we then had the incredible cup run. Um, that seems where we got to the got to the quarterfinal. I think we got we got a bit of um, decent luck with, with a couple of low league sides in our first couple of rounds. Then there was that game against Derby, which I was um, 13 at the time, I think still to this day, one of my favourite ever Argyle games. It was just an incredible, you know, the, I think when that second goal from Scott Sinclair went in, the um, the, the roof went off that day. And, and then going into the, the Watford game, the quarterfinal, that was one of my most heartbreaking days as an Argyle fan. That was, um, talk me through your, your experiences of that entire cup run, if you can. Yeah, it, it was it was amazing. It's one of them things when you finish and you look back at certain, you know, you probably take your career down to 10, 10 things that stand out. And and that cup run was was definitely one of them. I mean, it was it was heart, literally heartbreaking uh, way to go out because of we'd, we'd done so well and, you know, probably deserved at least something from that game, you know, at least to take it, take it further. Um, but the whole run was an experience, like you say, early on, you don't really, you, you get a little bit of luck, like say, who you're playing and you don't really think too much about down the line. And then two, three games later, it's, wow, we've got a, we've got a chance, we're getting far here, quarterfinal, what, what next? But it was different because, yes, we'd had our success, but this was, it was, this was a different type of um, success in that because it was the FA Cup, the whole country was on it. So we were doing big press weeks, you know, loads of cameras down there, different channels from all over the world. It was like the, F the FA Cup. It was something different and it was huge. And it was great experience for us all, you know, let alone what was going on on the pitch, um, you know, just to be in and around that type of environment, like at the top end of, of football. It was, I'm sure it was a great experience for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And um, with that, what you said, it is an interesting one for me because one thing Paul Sturrock famously said on, I think, a Sky interview when we got a lot of press that he was quite happy for Plymouth to continue being a sleepy village. And I suppose that Ian Holloway was the complete opposite in that respect. And he wanted the whole world to come to Plymouth. He wanted the whole world to know about Plymouth. The two managers who were similar in one way were obviously very, very different in another in their handling of the external media. We if I may ask, which, which approach did you prefer as a player in, in, in respect of that media handling and getting 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 the hype around Home Park? What were your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, no, I can't say I was um, ever disappointed reading my name in the paper or, you know, seeing myself on TV. Yeah, so, I, I mean, if it was these days with social media, well, I would have been putting, my goals would have been on there every week. Uh, so I, I kind of enjoyed yeah. it, you know. I enjoyed, I enjoyed, you know what, I was a people pleaser. I liked being liked. I liked the the the, the attention, you know, but in a, in a weird way, because I, I didn't like it because I was a little bit shy about it, but when I got it, I enjoyed it. And so, yeah, I did enjoy, you know, having the press and and, and the cameras and, and that spotlight on us for a bit because we were a little bit out of the way. Um, we weren't so used to it other than so much with the local stuff. So, no, I, lo- I loved it. I, I, like I say, I, I enjoyed it. It was good. Obviously, you said um, about being miles away from everywhere, and I know that you've touched pretty much every corner of, of, <laughs> of the country in your career. Um, do you find that, like, being out on a limb actually helps with, like, team camaraderie? And, like, does that bond you together a bit more, the fact that we're miles away from everywhere, or is that a pain in the ass? No, 100%. That, that made us, that made us, especially once I'd left, moved on to other clubs and realised what it could be like. I mean, say when I was at, for example, Leeds, we had lads from Manchester, Liverpool, uh, a lad from Leicester, a couple of lads from Leeds. But you'd come into train, finish training, the lads would be shooting off home because it was close enough to go to and then just travel back in. But you lost that little bit of team spirit um, and like you say, camaraderie that we had at Plymouth. You, you, there was nowhere to go because nowhere was close. Uh, so at the same time, we had a good group, we had a good group, a good group of young lads there with a nice mix of experienced lads. We went out together, you know, we we ate together. We had a good group like that. Families, you know, connected and did things together because of, again, the, a lot of them were a long way away from their families, so which helped everyone settle. And that made it, I think, being out on a limb was definitely a huge reason that contributed to our success because it gave us a closeness, a spirit, a, a wanting to, you know, do well for each other that, you know, I've never known pretty much anywhere else. Yeah, so obviously we've, we've talked about the, the the great times and so obviously the, the, we, we have to uh, give a fair reflection and it was after that where it all started to sort of fall apart a little for our girl. Um, obviously I've got a couple of questions about that. Some of it may overlap with what Aaron's asking. If I steal any of Aaron's questions about, you know, your career after, I, I do apologise. But obviously when Sorry. when you left in the January and when um, when Ian, obviously Ian Holloway left in November before you, there was an almighty blow-up, wasn't there, between Ian Holloway and Paul Stapleton in the press, kind of each each accusing other of, of, of saying and doing certain things. And one of the main contention points is that um, Paul Stapleton um, claimed that Ian Holloway offered you in that summer of 2007, that if you, if you stayed at the club in that summer, then you would, he would basically guarantee you a move in the January. Was that correct? Uh no, not so much that. I, in that summer, I'd had some interest um, from Southampton, ironically. That would have, at that time, probably more than trebled my wages. Um, obviously, a chance for me to go to move on. And Ian Holloway just sat me down and said, and I said, listen, maybe this club, I don't really know why I, I thought along these lines, because normally I just play and just do my job and get on with it. But I thought maybe this club's just hit a ceiling of where we can go with it because of we're underpaid players in relation to the league. Uh, I'm just talking about other players, not in general life. So we were underpaid. We weren't spending big money. That would, uh, you know, and I thought we're close and we might just need a little bit more, but I just can't see it coming with it, with this board. No offence to the board, but maybe just they joined. It was a group of guys who were friends, took over and it'd gone well. Maybe it was just now getting to a point where they even needed some help or, you know, some guidance about how to take it to the next level. But my worry was we were hit, we'd hit, we were coming to hit in a ceiling. Um, and Ian Holloway just said to me, listen, stay with me. 
I'll work, I'll work on them. We'll get what we need. We'll get the players we need. We'll get them to spend some money and we'll, we'll have a good go at it. And there was no real talk of if it doesn't, you can leave, to be honest. I don't remember that anyway. It was just, I will, I'll get it done and stay, stick with me type thing. And I think because he realised he couldn't, then I think he felt a little bit, not bad to me, but, you know, like, I'm sorry, like, I, I thought I could do this, but I can't. Yeah, I, I completely understand that. And obviously when he went to Leicester and the great January exodus that followed, I think we all kind of knew that the writing was on the wall in what happened. But just talk me through that, that couple of months that you overlapped with with Paul Sturrock then when he came back to the club. That must have been quite a quite an emotional moment in a way for the squad who, who remembered him being there from before. And um, how, how did that feel, kind of knowing that it was going to be Paul coming back and those, those few weeks working under him at Argyle? What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean... It was interesting because obviously it's Paul Sturrock. Obviously, I had a relationship with him. I had a lot of respect for him. But it was my mind was sort of going away from because of we'd started our players getting picked off because we'd lost Holloway. I just lost a bit of belief in, in in the club at that point, and he probably just made it harder for me because if it was someone I didn't know, it would have been easy to you know lit you know just to get to get on with it and try and try and get get away. But um, because it was him, and I thought, well, what could he do? Something could we do? Um, something and like I say I'm not really that person I, I just get on with my job I just play games and so I, I, obviously I know some things I've said about it, is it really for me to say where the club goes and how they should spend their money but I think I was just frustrated because I felt we were so close I felt we had such a good squad a good manager and I thought this is a, this is a real chance you know to, to, to maybe surprise everyone and I think I just had a bit of that frustration that made me want sometimes question, you know, above myself and the board. And uh, it was difficult because it was historic. But I think at that time, with the other players starting to leave as well, I thought it, it's probably a matter of time before I go. Yeah, I think you've kind of answered one of our future questions that a contributor sent in. The quote that you made of that um, I felt Plymouth's ambitions didn't didn't match mine. I was going to ask you for the other players departing kind of led you to say that, but you, you've kind of already answered that that that, that 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 was the case. So obviously, then when when the when the move to Ipswich came, I remember your uh, your last ever game for us was like was that fortunate, ironically, obviously a club you yeah. played later went on to play at yeah. the FA Cup. Uh, and then, and then, even more ironically, we were then due to play Ipswich, weren't we? Shortly after, so quite naturally, yeah. you were naturally left out of the squad for that game. But um, did did you kind of know at Pompey that that was that was going to be the last time you played for Argyle? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I can't remember the, when we. I don't remember when the Watford game before that was. There, there was a get. There was a couple of games where I just started to. I knew Watford. You got the winner, didn't you? At, yeah, um, that was just before Christmas. It was, was it? a few weeks before. It was before yeah. Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Around that time, I know that there was some serious interest coming in now, and I'd known that people had been at that game, Ipswich, and that would almost dead gone. Let's take him. You know, let's do, or let's do everything we can to try and get him. So I knew that that was coming then, and. Obviously, until then, I didn't want to be... I had an idea that it, it, there was a good chance something might happen. They were going to come in with some bigger bids. At the same time, I didn't want anyone to question me um, and my attitude and my commitment to Plymouth while I was still there. And so I played them last few games to, to almost to prove to people, I, I don't care if I get injured in, in a way, you know, I, I'm going to still give you everything I've got until anything should it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sorry, Aaron, I know that this is kind of the, the material you're touching on, but I think it just feels such a natural time to, to mention it. And you can then pick up from when David goes to Ipswich. The, um, obviously, then you, you, you then naturally um, you, you put through a transfer request in you to try and um, to try and force that move. But, um, I know, you know, you've given very much 
completely valid reasons why. But is there a little bit of you that, that kind of wishes for where we are, that where we were in the league, that that you have seen it through to see what what might have happened? To be honest, no, I, I don't think it would have. I think by that time, the, the players that had left, the manager that had left, I mean, at, at, at the same time, they then spent money after I left. I, I can't, was it Mpenza who came in? Yeah, he um he came in the, the summer after. Did he? he? Um, yeah, so not long after I'd gone, they then decided to spend some money and I then would have stayed for less than they would have spent in. Um, so it was a bit of a, to look back on. But at that time, I think, no, I don't think I was thinking... Oh, if I stay, we might, you know, do this or that. I think, it, I think it was that was my time. I think with what I had on the table, with where I fought with the club, with the manager leaving, with the other players getting picked off, um, where I could go financially, the the type of club I could have gone to with, with it being Ipswich, I just thought it, it's that time. And like I say I don't want to hand in a transfer request. Not after everything I'd been through with the club and how I felt about the club. It was. I knew though. I was told that. The thought process behind the scenes above was because of the way my attitude was getting through January and he'll still give us everything anyway because of the type of person he is. So I knew that if I didn't push, I wasn't going to be let go. And I have to ask you, well, I'll stay with the nasty one to last about your departure then. If they hadn't have let you go, would you have continued to do that? Or do you think there would have been a bit of you that would have always been, been holding a bit back for the summer? No, I, I I would have given. Yeah, they were they were right. They were right. I, I mean, it happened to me later down the line with um when I was going to leave Ipswich. That that was decided before the end of the season, and I gave my all. I was still captain till the very end of the season, and this was one of them. It should. They were right. They called it right. If we'd have got through it and I hadn't gone, I would have just done exactly what I'd done before. I'd have just got on with it. Well, I have to say it was an absolute uh, pleasure watching that team and actually quite actually quite a blue to it. It was such a shame it got got broken up, but it did. Just a couple more questions about kind of um, general highlights of of Argyle before I hand back to Ryan. Something that I meant to ask earlier, I completely forgot going back to the start of the Holloway. One of the most surreal experiences must have been the Real Madrid friendly. Um, talking through how, how that how that came about and how and you know from going on a normal pre-season tour to Austria, which Argyle did every year, to then. Uh, Playing against Real Madrid, that was quite an experience. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and, and I, I tell my kids about it now and they're like, yeah, but what? Not not the Real Madrid. Like, what is it? And I'm like, no, it was the actual team. And they're like, why would they play you? And I said, so this is the story. This is how I remembered it. I thought we were booked into a hotel in Austria that Real Madrid liked to use. They wanted it exclusively. So paid for us to leave, to stay in another hotel and to give us a friendly that was my take on it. And so that's how it come about. And uh, I think it it might have been, um, was there a, was there an international tournament in in the summer or something because of... World Cup, yeah, yeah. What was it? Yeah, Cup, yeah, because of the Galacticos weren't back. So that was a little bit of a shame. They still had more than enough, you know, big names and Capella was managing. So as an experience for us, it was, this is crazy. Like how on earth has this come about? But what an, what a... What, what a situation to be in and yeah we loved it and it's still talked about now and still mentioned about now and I've still got my shirt that I got from the game and I, I, one of the lads put up the program list on uh, social media like a, a couple of months back so it, it was huge it was crazy absolutely and then it put in a very creditable performance as well didn't we, we only, only lost one nil and, and yeah. put up a good game against them yeah yeah we did we had a good go there's a there's a brilliant photo from that game of um, Barry Hales and uh, just challenging Gooty it's just <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Get Barry Hales challenging Gooty just doesn't even sound right, but what a madness. Incredible. So two two very quick fire ones that I will run and through you hand back over to Aaron. 
of all your 243 games for Argyle, which was your favourite? And of all the brilliant players you played alongside, who was the best player you played alongside? Wow, tough, tough. Now, the games, I always say this and then end up thinking of one, but the QPR game, obviously, has, has, has got to be there. It's so big for us to win the league to, in the circumstances that it was. You know, it didn't just win us the game, it didn't just get us promoted, it won us the league as well. So that that was huge. So that game's got to be up there. There was a Swindon away game when we were 2-0 up. They got back to 2-2. We won 3-2. I remember the emotions after that were huge. So that was a that was an important and a big game for us. But there's probably so many individual games where because of them games were so enjoyable, especially if it was a last minute winner or the, like I said, a Watford away game when I scored a last minute winner. But sometimes doing it with the team we had, it meant that little bit more. So games-wise, it's quite it's quite hard to call, but definitely them two stand out. Player-wise, Scott Sinclair was, was has got to be up there. Akos Buzaki, what he could do with the ball. Like I used to spend most of training just trying to kick him because he just it was unbelievable. Like he was that that talented and that skillful. He was some player. So probably them and Scott Sinclair came and little skinny kid comes and joins in training. I think it was on loan and who's this kid like? How's he gonna because of the the, the toughness of the league? Five minutes into training, he's, he's gone past me. He's gone past Paul Connolly, checked it back from the keeper and scored. And I'm like, oh, right, OK, that's what he does. Here we go. Yeah. And and he went on and done it, didn't he? He produced he's put a couple of wonder goals for us. So he's probably I was there right that day there. at Barnett. Um, yeah. I remember because I was still on the front. I just remember he's going, he's going, he's still going. <laughs> Hang on a minute. You might have yeah. never seen that, you know? It was, it was, it was, uh, Some goal yeah. at that age. And a nice kid. Yeah, at 17. Yeah, yeah. really incredible. So... David Norris, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I'll now let Aaron cover your sort of post 2008. Yeah, no problem. Uh, we'll keep you too much longer. We'll try and cover your post 2008 as best we can. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Brilliant as it is to talk about Argyle, there's a, there's a few things we, we, we want to touch on. Obviously, obviously, was there any particular reason you decided on Ipswich? I can imagine there was a few clubs chasing for you at that time. Yeah, uh, Ipswich had shown an interest the previous summer. So I knew their manager was keen and that, that kind of meant a lot to me and that I wanted... I liked how much how keen he was for me to join him, and I thought, wow, that that's managed. Jim Magilton. Jim Magilton, yeah, yeah. So, how much he really wanted me to be there and go there, and how much he come back with offers, and then they got a bit of the money from new ownership, and he still come back. And uh, I spoke to him obviously in the summer before, uh, which I can obviously say now. <laughs> but um, yeah, and, and and he was dead keen, and I just thought, you know what, I kind of like that about him. Um, obviously, it's a huge club. You know, had the, had had a history and all of that as well. But yeah, I liked the way how much Jimmy Jilton wanted me made it stand out. Obviously, I had Holloway at Leicester was an option, and another thing was going to be it had to be a decent fee because of the sell-on clause. Mm. Obviously, ourselves in Ipswich, 
um, battled to the title last season. Obviously, I can imagine for yourself that was quite a that was a win win situation, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, of the teams I've played for, there is there's obviously teams I'm a bit have a bit more of a, where my heart is and, and a bit closer to, and them two are both both up there uh, just for this year. I mean, I spent what probably eight 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 and a half years of my career just in them two teams. So yeah, uh, it was great for me, you know, great for me to see how both of them doing well, both back to where they they should be at least, you know, where they belong, you know, in the in in the championship. So so yeah, it was, it was great. I managed to get down to you know Argyle a couple of times, so it was nice to see everything, the, the atmosphere back how I remembered it when we went, you know, full stadiums right behind the players. Look great to be about. But obviously, while at Ipswich, a, a bit of controversy for yourself. After the tragedy that occurred, obviously after your wedding, I don't think there's any Argyle fan that needs reminding of the, the events of what happened uh, that night, and obviously tragically saw two young boys lose their lives. But the controversy with the celebration—do do you want to give you, us your side of that story? I, I assume you regret that. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, it, uh, it was stupid, naive. It was me just trying to let somebody know that you know despite what has happened i'm still i'm still your friend i'm still going to be there for you um i should have chosen a different different way to do it the actual gesture itself is misconstrued but you know i'm not i probably don't want to go over trying to explain myself on that people will make up their own minds on that but it, like i say it's the, it was still a gesture anyway and so yeah i didn't i'm, I'm regretful for hurt any hurt i caused anyone else i think people who know me know that i'm not that type of guy i'm not I'm not malicious or, you know, it was just a bit stupid and naive. And uh, yeah, of course, of course, I regret it after. And obviously I've got kids myself, so even more so, you know, you can you can appreciate it. But the the actual, the reasoning behind it was never malicious. It was just me just trying to show a friend I was still going to be a friend. And I should have probably, well, I should definitely have just chose a different way to go about that. But yeah, I, I regret that. Um, I paid for it, you know. And, you know, it was a, it was a crazy time for me with, what was going on and off the pitch, you know, of what the press can be like. And, uh, you know, they, they, they came for me pretty hard. And, you know, I brought it on myself, so I, I can't really complain. I did what I could. I met I met the parents, you know, I apologise. I said my side of things. I did whatever I had to do to make it right or to try and lessen, lessen the impact or show at least I was sorry. And and then we moved on. But yeah, as a as a period of, of a time, it was a it was a bit of a crazy time with, you know, like I say, the press at my, my house, my parents' house. Um, you know, the stories that were going in, some true, some not true. It was it was a bit crazy, but like I say, yeah, something that was stupid and naive and, you know, I, I do regret hurting, you know, any hurt that I caused anyone. Roy Keane comes in, he's tasked with turning things around. What, what was Roy like as a manager? He obviously rated you, right, because he gives you the captaincy a few years later, but what's he like behind the scenes? Is he is he like what he is on Sky? Yeah, no one's ever going to be good enough. <laughs> It's going to be a hard task to to keep the man pleased, but um, at first I thought perfect because of it's Roy Keane. I mean, I had so much respect for him, what a player, and also we were a little bit milky at Ipswich. We could be a little bit soft sometimes because we could play. I felt sometimes we just didn't have that grit, and I thought, oh, perfect, he'll come in, he'll add that to us straight away, and he did. But he was just so um, like angry all, <laughs> all the time, and. You know, it, it, it would, we started off really well and then a lot of tinkering and chopping and changing with the team and then it'd get onto the lads. And then half the lads, I felt, didn't want to play for him because of the way it upset them. And the other half were too scared to play for him because of what he was like. And it just started then after a couple of seasons to go a little bit downhill. But 
I mean, as a guy, he's what an aura. I mean, he walks into a room, everyone, everyone stops. And and I, like I said, I think I got on as well with him as anyone probably could. Uh, like I say, he made me captain, which was incredible for me, not just because to be captain of Ipswich Town, but for him to choose me, knowing how I felt about him and what he was like as a player, you know, it was big for me. And, you know, to be fair, it, it gave me a little bit extra because, you know, I, I seemed to step up. I, I scored more goals. I tried to lead a bit more by, you know, lead the team a little bit more. And I ended up having, a, personally, a, a pretty good season. But, yeah, he's exactly as... As you see on TV, like 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 the others, to be fair, he's uh he's a hard man to please. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Obviously, your your time at Ipswich, we've we've glanced over a lot of Ipswich, but you know that's not what we're about. Obviously, your time at Ipswich comes to an end as as Paul Jules coming in. But you were speaking to other clubs from from the January. Obviously, Pompey come calling, and and you joined them in a summer of transition for them as well, whilst they're under an embargo. What, what's it like joining them? And what was that was under Appleton. Uh, well, yeah, Cotterill at first. Oh, okay. And yeah. then after a couple of months, it went to Appleton, yeah. I mean, because I'd had the reassurances that everything like that had been done, there was new ownership in now, they'd been ve- that checked, um, they'd, you know, got, they'd got big funds. So I didn't really worry about it too much. I mean, I went into pre-season and there was probably only about seven players and I was a little bit, well, what, what's, you know, and it was, don't worry, this is it, we're recruiting now, everyone's coming back, we're going to get the players, don't worry, we have the funds and all that. And so it started off okay. First couple of months, it was, this is good. Yeah, we've got a good team now. We've got some good experienced players, some big egos, some players who have been there, done it. Let's see what happens. And then within a couple of months, the owner gets investigated, accounts frozen, club goes into administration and it's like, wow, what's going on? And then we don't get paid or we get paid percentages throughout the season. But it was a tough season. It was different. It was difficult but you know sometimes as a player you can feel a bit sorry for yourself but being in and around that club and it was a small you know family oriented club and seeing people lose their jobs that have been at the club for years and years you know that was that was humbling and that you know made yourself look at yourself a little bit and be a little bit more grateful for for what you got and for what you are being paid as much as we have our own outgoings once we are and, and you're not happy about it it was definitely seeing people that have been at the club for for so many years losing their jobs was 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 tough to be in and around and yeah it was a bit of a tough time and luckily I mean similar to to Argyle at one point they came very close to to finishing and and got through it and they've come out the other side now and everything's all good. Yeah I believe obviously you can contribute to our funds as well during our fight for administration too and obviously that famous we want our Norris back (laughs) uh, chant from Argyle I think that was against Portsmouth wasn't it and um, obviously solidifies you further in in Argyle folklore but I suppose the question is, what's it like to play for a club that's battling to survive the depths of administration? Because uh, you touched on it there. I can imagine it's an absolute nightmare for yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. Like I say, if you you think about yourself, obviously, first and foremost, and players tend to live within their means and you've got mortgages and your outgoings are high. And so that was a worry, for one. Um, Two, how long it was going to last, when you were going to get paid and how much. And then things to do with the football side of things, which was normally your, your bit of, you know, of a release, you know, you could forget about it for them 90 minutes. And then we didn't have ink for the printers to print out sheets to do the tactic work on. So we ended up having to draw it. Like it was just little things. There was money, no money for this, no money for that. We're going to have to make our own way. We're going to have to do our own dinner. You know, little things that just, and you're like, well, this is, this is getting like serious now. It's a bit more about, is this club going to get through this rather than when's, when's our next paycheck going to be? And, 
Yeah, it was tough, but it's it's such a like I say a, a, a nice, you know, family orientated type club, and the players were in and around the staff quite a bit. So you know, it wasn't separated like that, like it can be at some other clubs. Um, and so it was a it was a tough time, and you know, like I say, it was not just for me for for everyone else, but um, main thing was the club. The club got sorted, and the same, you know, when when it happened to Plymouth, it would have been you know to, devastating for anything to have happened. Yeah, when I speak to my my mate who's a Portsmouth fan, there's there's only one thing that comes up. The 7th of April, David Norris Day. <laughs> your famous moment in blue, which cemented your legacy at Portsmouth. Just talk us through that volley. Yeah, it was uh what and I can't you to be honest, it still do it now. Every year my socials blow up uh, mm. on that day. Uh it's crazy. I just just how much it meant. Obviously, it's great for me. I love it. Um, you know, the fact that you know, people say to me about the goal, but my my favourite bit is when it goes back to the fans. And then I think, wow, I did that. I made them that happy, like watching them go absolutely, you know, off the scale. But the goal is just one of them, you know, that it it's one of them, nine, nine, nine times out of a hundred, it, it goes anywhere and everywhere. But the, the way it comes up as it hits the player on the, they, they both jump up for the header, it's spinning like that. So it's not even going a right way, you know, to make that easier to hit it cleanly. So as it's spinning, I'm thinking just side foot this back into the box. But if you see, as I'm watching the ball, I have a little look down and then look back up at the ball when they slow mode it. And both of the players that would have been in the box would jump for the ball. So there's no one in there. And I think that's when I decided just swing it, see what happens. And then as soon as I hit it, uh, if you see it from behind, I'm almost running off because I think it's in, it's in. And I run off and just jump straight for all the stewards, straight into the crowd and... Yeah, it was an incredible feeling, like I say, that individually, as a feeling, that's probably the best I've ever had in football for that few seconds of, wow, what's just happened? It, it, it was great. And like I say, they, they, they've taken to it and love it, so even better. I was actually at university at Southampton at the time, and it was a great source of pride that a former Argyle, um, <laughs> former Argyle legend had ruined brilliant. their promotion party. It was, yeah, it was that's great. Brilliant, that's great. Yeah, my, my dad knows nothing about football, but there's a couple of players that he, he absolutely loves and, and you're one of them because he just loves a player with a foot like a traction engine and that, <laughs> that personifies that. Absolute thunderbolt. Um, yeah. Like you said, I can imagine there's no better feeling. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've notched one for my Sunday league side and that's that's amazing. So yeah. that, can't be like that. Yeah. Uh, that must be incredible. Your time at Portsmouth comes to an end and former Argyle manager, Neil Warnock, um, signed you for Leeds that I can imagine you, you know you, you you go through all the characters in your career what what was Neil like yeah I, I mean another one that you did want to play for he was good he was good at getting the players together and and a little bit old school in that way um, like the players to have a night out together to, to be close to you know and another one that you did actually you, you wanted to play for you know I was lucky and a lot of my managers did make you feel that way their man management side of things was good mm. and, and he was the same I mean I just felt a little bit that he didn't have that same fiery passion that he did have at Sheffield United. Um, mm. Because when I first went there, I thought, wow, imagine being at Leeds, doing well there, getting promoted with them, with a manager who's got a history of promotions in a club that size, it's going to be, it should, could be an incredible time to be around. And that was part of the reason I went there. And 
it, it never really it never really worked out. And like I say, sometimes obviously he, he's still down Plymouth way. So he'd come in on a Thursday or Friday and wouldn't see him. And I didn't know if he just didn't have that, which he seemed to get back after he left. And anyway, um, when he went to other clubs, because of he, he, he went on, a, he's done a, he's, what an incredible man and what an incredible career he's had. But yeah, I just thought going there with, to, with Leeds, with him, we'd have a right good chance. And it just it just never really worked out. And then once we had the shambles with the the Italian owners and all of that sort of thing come along, it, it just all went a bit tits up. Yeah, there seems to be a theme in your career that, that you you play under the most crazy managers with the craziest boards. Yeah. Uh, Chilino's time at there, you know, absolute mess. But like you said, I feel like Leeds as a club that they're so um, well backed and, and you know, Ellen Road is is one of the best stadiums in, in especially in EFL football, but in English football, uh, yeah. you just really thought it was going to work there for, for Warnock, obviously. But like I say, you played at some some big stadiums. Where does Ellen Road rank in that list? Right up there, right up there. That first season, first game of the season, like it sticks in my, my mind now, we, we had Wolves, it was live on Sky and uh, Full House and they're marching on together song, they play before the games and then when they kill the music and the fans sing it and I just remember looking around thinking, wow, like I goosebumps and my hairs were standing up on the back of my neck and thinking, wow, this is some atmosphere, some place to be. Um, and it was incredible. And I've always said that the Leeds fans are, wherever you go, you get a good group, good set of fans, and then you get a minority of really hardcore. Uh, Leeds is the opposite way around. Right. They've got a, ma- the majority is hardcore and then a, a minority of just normal fans because they live, breathe and everything, you know, similar to maybe like, the reputation the Newcastle and Sunderland fans seem to have, you know, it's it's their whole week ready for that for, for that game at the end. And they deserve to be successful and they deserve to be higher up because of what they do put into their club and how much it does mean to them. And it was just a shame it didn't work out. But but yeah, what a club, what a place. Obviously, you've given us quite a bit of your time already, so we'll start winding down now. But obviously, as you, as you began to wind down your career, obviously knocking up by the likes of you re-signed for Luggy at Yeovil. Obviously, you weren't there very long, so there's not a lot to talk about there. Um, obviously, Blackpool, Salford, and obviously now with Lancaster City, you've, you've collected hundreds of memories from several clubs. Obviously, you, you're now starting to shift some of those memories on, you know, your match-worn shirts online and on socials. Is there a reason behind that? Or are they just taking up too much space? Or? No, no, just, um, just some financials, to be honest. Yeah, okay. I've, uh, yeah I've, I've um, probably had a couple of, you know, bad investment decisions. But then also um, I'm going through a couple of little court issues at the minute. Um, and so it's pretty much raising funds. I've got a good collection of shirts. I'm going to keep the ones closest to me and, and and the biggest names for the kids they want. And I've kept one of all of mine as well, you know, that, you know, for myself, but the rest, yeah, it's just a little bit, you know, at this stage of, of raising a little bit of fondage. I, did, I didn't realise it was, I thought it was, yeah. Get a good space or whatever. Or you didn't want. Yeah, space. no, which is, which is normal. Yeah. Like people do it. Cause some people ask me then, Oh, can we've got a charity? Can you send it? And I mean, early in my career and towards the end, I used to send loads of shirts out to charities or give them away. And, and uh, I feel like a bit, tight on it but I actually at this stage I'd actually just need uh, to raise some money to, to pay for some court stuff so that was it uh, yeah. <laughs> obviously you're, you're personal training now is that, that full time yeah. I'm hearing that you're knocking about with a few boxes yeah it, it, it's it's just been a bit of a niche for me Um, when I first started doing it my I was comfortable doing footballers off season so perfect I know how to get fit and strong I can I was doing obviously my studying and learning as well but that was my thing lads would come to me off season I'd help them get fit but then during the season that got quite quiet because everyone's at clubs 
And so I'll be doing a bit more personal stuff with, with one-to-ones, but I started working with a couple of boxers and I mean, it's been around a little while with, with Anthony Joshua and, you know, maybe the last 10, five, 10 years, but it's still relatively new in their sport. And so you tend to get results pretty good and it's changing their old school mentality of long, long runs, mad circuits in the gym and then they're boxing and sparring. And so it's been a bit of a niche for me. And I think I'm, I'm working with 10, 12 boxers at the minute. Um, majority of them just working their way up a couple with, with belts, but, but I'm enjoying it. it it's, it, it's, it's, I've always been into my fitness. It was probably the strongest part of my own game. So I've always enjoyed that side of it. And, you know, in a way I get to still be in and around, you know, some, some banter, some changing room type banter with, with, with the lads, the way they are, and especially the off season stuff with the footballers. And also, you know, try and help, you know, seeing people develop in their career from, I could say a lot of the boxers come a bit from nothing to then how far can they go and, and see them be successful. So it's, I'm enjoying being part of it at the minute. Yeah, it's been good. I suppose it's that non-league to league winner type mentality that you, you you went through, I suppose. Obviously, you look back at your career as a whole. Obviously, you're now still playing semi-pro for Lancaster City, but do you have any regrets on, on your career or are you pretty happy? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, I, 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 if I look back now, when I think where I was and I think sometimes in my mentality of, I knew that I wasn't sometimes the best player or have the most technical ability, but I was always going to outwork someone then, right? And, and I've seen a lot of better players than me at quite a few of the clubs. So to look back on my career with, I mean, I got something the other last season or so off Lancaster for 700 games. You know, I've scored, I've scored goals. I've been at some good clubs and big clubs. It's been a, it's been a ride for me. I, you know, I, I can't be, I'm more than happy. I can't, I'm so grateful for, for the, for the luck and for the career that I've managed to have and the people I've met and the clubs I've played at and the fans I've, that still show me a lot of gratitude. I can't complain, mate. You know, it's been an absolute buzz for me. A brilliant, you know, and, and and it's been hard because I feel like I lost a lot of the memories. And and I seen a I seen a goal even last week. Well, no, it was a couple of months ago. Um, for Plymouth against Luton, and I scored a header. I had no recollection of it. And I don't know if I've just pushed it to the side or if you never get to really enjoy things when you're playing because everything's on to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. So doing things like this, and I've done a couple of other little ones and I can look back and I have a little look before I, I come on to see and I think, oh yeah, that was, oh, I remember that. Oh, that was brilliant. Oh, but the, And it's nice for me sometimes now, it's it's pretty much done to look back and, and be, have a chance to go over things and remember things, you know, because I was very lucky. I had a very, very good career. Your personal training, that's your job, but you, you attempted to step into management at all, obviously. No, <laughs> no, no, not these days. I mean, like you say, one, I went everywhere all over the whole country with playing. I wouldn't want to do that now with kids and stuff uh, as a manager and your life expectancy as a manager. Geez, these days, it feels like it could be six to 10 games. Yeah. So it's never really interested me. The coaching side of things, no. I mean, I, I did a little bit of strength and condition at Fylde, um, where Nick Chadwick was assistant manager, um, which was enjoyable, but... And it could only be part-time because of my other stuff with the boxers and everybody else. But regards to that side of things, no, it's not It's not for me, mate. It's not for me. I'd, I'd, I'd like being involved in and around the club and changing room environment and, and banter and what have you, but I'd never be a manager, not a chance. No, fair enough. If you had to pick one of those managers that you played under to be the best and one to be the worst, have you got any standouts? Oof, that's, that's tough. That's tough. I mean, Sturrock was was big for me and obviously I, I love playing under him so we'd have to have a mention in there somewhere somewhere I mean they've all they all did good things for me Roy King giving me the captaincy uh Pulis giving me a contract against what you know Ian Holloway asking me to stick by him because of he believed so much in what he could do you know it was good to me there's hard on 
because of for so many different reasons i'll have a re i like managers for um for, for whatever but yeah i mean i didn't get on with um mcdermott at leeds i didn't enjoy uh, I, he comes straight in and pretty much wrote me off straight away which i was like i say i didn't i wasn't quite used to that sort of thing i had a little bit with williamson but for some reason i wasn't for him and that was tough to take um so i didn't enjoy playing for him you know one one bit but overall i've been very lucky like i say i'm a little bit of a people pleaser, manager pleaser. And luckily a lot of the managers have bought into me and, and I've played a lot of games for most of the managers. So yeah, uh, there isn't too many I dislike, but the, the, a lot of them for different reasons I do like. Yeah, you've been absolutely brilliant. I was going to ask you to finish up on a question about how we've done this season, but you've already answered it earlier on. So I won't bore you by game. <laughs> I think that's no, everything from me, Sam, unless you've got any closing questions. Um, no, I, I think we've um, just about covered, I think as much as we... As much as we could have. And David, thank you for being a fantastic guest. You've answered everything. Honestly, I think you've answered a lot of questions that um, other people may have maybe ducked away from. So you've been an absolutely fantastic guest to have. And uh, yeah. thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem, guys. No worries. Thank you. I, I echo that what Sam says. Absolutely brilliant. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, guys. Cheers. Cheers. That's the end of another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Before you go, please make sure you drop us a review on whichever podcast platform you are using. And make sure you follow us on Twitter at ArgoLife1886. Cheers. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.